You're listening to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast, where we read them so you don't have to. Like the show? Become a patron at patreon.com forward slash nygbc. You should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can eat more. getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. I want to be a book that you can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. Your grandmother's book club podcast, where we read them so you don't have to, because we didn't heed old man Jenkins' warning. <laughs> my name is Kevin, and I'm joined as always by my co-host Benedict, the man who is sick of you saying he looks tired. I Benedict, am. I am so <laughs> sick of that. Are you ready to separate the art from this artist? I, I, absolutely, yes. <laughs> I'm not sure it's possible. They're both equally bad. I'm not sure I can say one is great and the other is not so great. I don't know if it's quite necessary no. to do so with this one. No. Uh, but you heard him laugh already. We have brought another guest on this week to suffer through Donnie Trump Jr.'s book with us. Uh, joining us this week is Dustin from the Atheist Nomads podcast. Dustin, say hello to everybody. Hello, and I'm not sure if I be, should be saying thank you or why the <laughs> hell are you trying to piss me off with this piece of shit? <laughs> I think fuck you, fuck you is more appropriate. Yeah, yeah. we get more yeah. often. Look, we could just spend five minutes here at the beginning with you yelling at us, telling us how much you hate us, all those sorts of <laughs> things, and then we can move on. It's catharsis. I've heard about it. Yelling into a pillow. Yeah, yeah. So, Dustin, before we get the show started here, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about uh, your podcast? That might give them an inkling of what this chapter is about this week. All right. Well, I am host of the Atheist Nomads podcast, and uh, it is about news and interviews with with people of interest to atheists. Um, granted, granted, lately, the news of interest has all been around COVID-19. Because uh, that's which... all the news that exists right now? Is <laughs> Because there's almost no other news. Uh, prior to that, it <laughs> was way too much Trump because, well, since twenty late 2016, yeah. there hasn't been much. Yeah. Oh, we get that. I mean, we were the guys who decided to start a political podcast yeah. right before the 2016 election. <laughs> yeah. It feels but when like, I started yeah. it, Sorry, when I started, it was it was 2012. Everything was getting better. Better. <laughs> Same-sex marriage was spreading to more and more states, and equal rights were expanding, and atheists were gaining and ex- being accepted by everybody. And it, it was like every couple weeks we had wins, and it was exciting. And <laughs> then the 2016 election happened, yeah. and theocracy broke loose. Yeah, I'm sorry. Did you did you think we were we were good as a, a species? Did you think there was anything good within us? The moral okay, of the I, I that Kevin. to be wrong. <laughs> In college, I, I, I majored in theology, had a minor in, in history. Um, no, I know humanity is garbage. <laughs> and that is we, the we central just keep theme trying of this to podcast, get... by the way, just in case yeah. you were wondering. <laughs> we, we just try to become less garbage, but we're still basically the same garbage. As Martin Luther King Jr. famously said, yeah, that's right. Yes, <laughs> we're all garbage, <laughs> and we're going to continue to be garbage forever. But hopefully less garbage. <laughs> yeah. God, that was a Donnie Jr. level of quote right there. Uh, <laughs> Benedict, so we've already had a few already, but uh, you know we've we've started off the the show in the past with some little nice light conversation. But we have uh-huh. a new segment we're starting this week. We do because yes. I had a fun name. Uh, Benedict, do you have any hot takes for us this week? Oh, I do. And I, do you want an actual spicy take or or kind of a mundane? T- I'm going to do a spicy spicier take. than a bowl of cucumber soup. I f- okay. I feel like I can do that. <laughs> It's a semi-spicy take. I think we're going to see a lot of used Teslas on the market as Elon Musk turns into a full-on crazy person. I think that's that's my spicy take of the week. I'm not sure how hot that take is. Uh, yeah, yeah, I can agree. As someone whose whose mother just bought a Tesla literally a few months ago. Is it ago, because Elon Musk is turning into a crazy no, person? No, it was not because was. Elon okay. Musk. It's okay. because they're a genuinely cool automobile. 
but yes, yes, I can agree. There is some cra- look. I I just think if you can pronounce Elon Musk's child's name, you open a portal that sends him back to the dimension he came from. <laughs> Elon Musk right. is Mixelplick, but it's with his child's name. It's a whole thing. Anyways, all right, Kevin, what's your spicy take? My spice hot take, not spicy take. Hot take. Don't I get like it right. spicy. Okay. My hot take, well, because mine is food related. Uh, mine is that edible arrangements are just a $39 excuse for adults to eat the amount of chocolate it would cost about $2 at the grocery store. Yeah. It's fruit too, yeah. though, right? Yeah. Who wants fruit? And I, I understand. As a starving law student who is desperately trying to live off of the leftover from my student loans so I can avoid having to either beg my parents or go and take out private student loans and put myself even further in debt, it's pretty pretty great to get some fruit on occasion. And my parents happened to send me an edible arrangement Aww. earlier this week. Last so week, you're just Brad. ungrateful. You're an ungrateful child is what you say. No, I'm grateful. <laughs> I am grateful. But I don't, I don't understand it because it's basically one melon, one cantaloupe, a handful of strawberries dipped in about 90 cents worth of chocolate. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. I'm just, yeah. I'm just yeah. saying I don't understand the $39.99 aspect of the edible arrangement. But anyways, Benedict, as we know, we have uh, read this terrible book this week, and we don't yeah. recommend it to our listeners. No. So do we have any, and again... Going with the new segment titles this week, I have come up with a new segment uh, title rather than our alternate book suggestions. We now have Benedict's Bookshelf. That's so, it, Benedict, what's on our bookshelf this week? On on my bookshelf this week is uh, Joachim Machado de Assis wrote a book called... You pretentious called, dick. <laughs> wrote a book called uh, Dom Casmoro. Dom Casmoro in... You're seriously going your, to suggest that to our, I know we have a couple highfalutin we, we listeners have a high brow who audience. may know what you're talking about. But look, there's also people who prefer me on the show. That Okay. The, <laughs> some, yes. Who the are not going to go looking for your... Anyway, whatever Don Casmura is. is one of the greats of Brazilian literature. I'd recommend reading it in the original Portuguese, but if you can't, you can get an English copy, I'm sure. But actually read it. It's a really good book. It's like a, it's a 19th century retelling of the Othello story. It's good. It's about Fine. jealousy, Wait. shit like that. 19th century Brazilian... Yep. In Portuguese. In Portuguese, yep. They, so in 19th century Brazilian Portuguese. Ni- in 19th wow. century Brazilian Portuguese. Better, yeah, no, did he you was... just suggest a book by a slave owner? I didn't. He was black, actually. He was one of the first okay. wo- worldwide famous black authors. Okay. Good to know. Uh, well, my suggestion this week, because uh, as we know, you came up with the idea for this uh, book suggestion segment uh, in its beginning, and everything you do I treat with utter disdain. Uh, yep. My suggestion this week... Is actually a video game called Subnautica on oh. Xbox One or okay. uh, computer or wherever else you want to play it. It's just been relaxing for me, man, because it's all underwater and you're just trying to pick up more titanium so you can build the shit you need to survive. And if you just want to waste some time and enjoy some nice graphics of some pretty fishies and things underwater, go play Subnautica. You'll have also don't come at me for suggesting a Portuguese book when you're suggesting a video game with a Greek title. Like, <laughs> relax. My pretension doesn't match your pretension. Mine is hidden, at least. Uh, <laughs> so, anyways, we Does return. Dustin have a book we might like? No pressure. Um, my, my current favorite is Goodnight Moon. Okay. <laughs> a parent, a true parent. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, Goodnight Moon is the last thing before I kiss my daughter goodnight. Aww. And she tucks herself in in the first usually five pages of that book. And if she's not settled down for bed, by the time we get to the goodnight moon line, she is laying down and covering herself up with her blanket, and it is awesome. That's adorable. See, wow. We made some is good. wholesome, wholesome stuff to the podcast this week. Thank you. We need See, that. See, Benedict thinks he's bringing in some fancy stuff here with the Portuguese literature, but goodnight moon is a classic. I had goodnight moon. Now, we all where had it gets, good night moon. Where it gets weird was when I was I was sick with hand, foot, and mouth that my daughter gave me before the <laughs> shutdown, which resulted in me already socially distancing before it became recommended for everybody to do that. Uh, my wife took care of putting our daughter to bed, and I didn't have to read Good Night Moon. 
And I found myself at eight o'clock <laughs> needing to recite it from memory to myself to be able to move on with my evening. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, just wait till I, you get to hop on pop. Uh, uh, yeah. And then I was happy when my daughter begged for me to come in and read Goodnight Moon to her, and I did, and then everything was, was right. Everything okay, was this right is too much wholesome content yeah, no, for a show. Yeah. Okay. Super Listeners aren't going to know what to expect. You're talking about good books. <laughs> so we return to our book review of Triggered by Donald Trump Jr., a man whose WWE walkout song is Banana Phone by Raffi. Benedict, <laughs> what did we read this week? Oh, man. I, I'm going to steal Dustin's line or adapt it slightly and just say that this is the book where Donald Trump... G this is the chapter, rather, where Donald Trump Jr. gets closest to making an actual logical point. Unfortunately, the actual logical point is against his own position, which is just a the bizarre The actual logical point he accidentally almost makes is that he's a white... Well, that white supremacists are his side. Yep. That yep. <laughs> That's I mean, right. yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and once you get to that point, if you go back and read it again from that lens of every time he talks about his father, he says, the white supremacist, it all makes more sense. <laughs> yeah. It's like rereading Watchmen through for a second time, Benedict, that oh, you've okay. talked about doing now, even I, though I know you'll never do. I wouldn't uh, know. <laughs> So this is chapter 10, entitled A Deadly Form of Hate. And Benedict, do you have an alternate chapter title for us? I do. It's A Deadly Form of Stupidity. <laughs> very good very good uh mine was entitled clash of civilizations is on my bookshelf and maybe someday i'll get around to reading it <laughs> there's one political science nerd out there who loved that joke so this chapter of civilizations me who who wrote clash of civilizations uh samuel huntington all right just testing sammy hunts good old sammy hunts in his very racist, terrible book. Yeah. Uh, so this I chapter... Think if I were to do an alternate title, I would go with Minorities Are Scary. <laughs> That's basically... Stop it. Being Mean to the Majority. <laughs> Look, that, that the, was the, the working majority. title... That the was the working title of Clash of Civilizations, so I think we got the same one going there. I'm, I'm going to revise mine to the oppressed majority. Is, uh, there we go. That's... Very good. Very good. So this chapter is all about how Christians have it so hard, everybody. In America, so by the hard. way. Not, not like, okay, you can make a point for it around the world in certain countries, but this chapter okay. is specifically about America. But Christians here's the thing. He tries to make it out about around the world, but forgot he was supposed to be making it about around the world. Yep. And was all about America. Yep. And you... then Israel, weirdly, at the end. <laughs> and, and even completely shut down his whole argument even before he got to it with the blanket banning of immigration from certain Muslim-majority countries, yep. including refugees who were Christians escaping literal persecution and threat of death. Yep. Yep. That's right. So that's He's like excusing wrong. his father <laughs> having Muslim extremists slaughter Christians yes, in the is. name of... Ugh! In the name of Muslims are scary brown people. Yeah. Uh, so we start off this chapter talking about the first day of the Trump administration, a, a day that still scars me. But he talks about how that very first day wasn't very long before he got to dealing with all of his campaign promises. He's sitting down behind the resolute desk and signing executive orders that he says covered everything from expediting environmental reviews that were slowing much-needed infrastructure projects to improving border, sec border security to slashing two regulations for every one a federal agency added. And that, but, by the I way, that, that, is, because that is all meaningless. None of that means anything. It very much is, except I will say about that last one, EO, I think it's 13777, uh, the one that was supposed to slash two regulations for everyone added, was the biggest self-fail imaginable. Okay, Because in order to remove, I've told you this in the past, but in order to remove a regulation, you have to pass a regulation. <laughs> so all that it amounted to doing was completely stalling the regulatory process. I had a professor here at law school <laughs> who, it was, it was a class about regulation, who said, yeah, that was the dumbest thing I've ever even heard of. <laughs> Apparently nobody who worked for him even told bothered to tell him this was a bad idea. Because they didn't know. But 
we've seen we've seen the the cast of characters he keeps around him like this is not a, 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 yeah. a an administration that is what i would call with it well <laughs> yes, and theoretically the way around it couldn't you just create a new regulation that repeals two regulations and then replaces both of those all with one regulation that does everything the other two did. No, no. And the reason why you can't do that is because Republicans have spent the last 40 years <laughs> making our regulatory process so cumbersome that the only way you can pass a regulation is by passing one singular regulation with a long notice and comment process that enables it to slow everything down to an immense degree. And it's fantastic. All but right. they, had, after they, oh. they realized that problem, they did get around to changing the way they did things, and they haven't repealed regulations. They've just changed them by changing standards and regulations. Anyway, none of this has anything to do with what the chapter is about. Right. The executive order he wrote that preamble to tell us about was, yes, as Dustin mentioned, the Muslim ban. So we cut over, and look, it's just the Muslim ban, everyone hated us, blah, 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 blah. His purpose was to find ways of keeping people, he says, quote, who hate the United States from coming into the country. And I love that hate the United States line because it's always the throwaway right-wing line that really has no meaning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he also says it would have affected a tiny number of people, which is very much not true. Like, the amount of people that come from those countries is very high. And again, like, it places affected like iran for example like people who actually like were studying in the u.s couldn't come out of the theocracy that is iran to come here and be in the u.s and not in their dangerous theocracy at home where presumably because they're studying in the u.s they do not agree with the general ideology of the state of iran so it really not only did it affect a lot more people than he's letting on it absolutely as dustin said affected all the wrong people right in that like Iraqi and Syrian Christians who are getting actual persecution and being slaughtered by ISIS couldn't get refugee status in the US, but rich Saudi kids could. Yeah. Because Saudi Arabia was exempted from this, as was anybody else who Trump wanted money from. Yeah. Plus, Basically. they have fun sword and orb dances. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I'd forgotten There's, about the orb. I was, I was orb realizing earlier today. I don't remember, man. There was so much from this administration. I mean, time flies so fast during a Trump administration. There's been so much crazy that we don't even remember because the next day, bam, there was another thing. We just can't keep a handle on all of it. The orb yeah. was, it's got to be top five. Top five. Top. We, one of these days, we will do a top five, top ten Trump administration moments list. Once this is over and we're all okay again, yeah. we have to do a top five funniest moments because the orb has uh, got to be up there. Tragedy plus time equals comedy, man. That's true. But we get to the first, and this is one of the, the rare chapters in this book where he actually took the time to do subsections. And this is where I think this chapter was an outlining fail. Because, Benedict, you write. You're a writer. I, you know yes. what the writing process is like. And I do a lot of legal writing. And an outline is incredibly helpful to keep you on track with your own writing. Tends and obviously, he has two subsections here that were part of his outline for this chapter. Unfortunately, he completely forgot and started to write about other things. That's very <laughs> weird. World, the Worldwide War Against Christians section of this chapter, he's going to start off talking about that there is an empirical fact that radical Islam is waging a worldwide war against Christians, Jews, Hindus, and even Islam itself, which makes me think he doesn't understand what empirical means. <laughs> but he then quotes a, a nonprofit called Open Doors USA, which he says supports persecuted Christians around the world. And I took time to look up this this nonprofit. It's it's basically a church that sends Bibles and smuggles Bibles into places <laughs> in the world where they're supposedly banned. Do they work with Hobby Lobby to buy stolen artifacts <laughs> from ISIS? Just out of I hope so. I hope so. That'd be so great. Do you remember, again, another hilarious moment All of right. like Hobby Lobby accidentally so many other things. funding ISIS by buying cuneiform <laughs> tablets. That's That was fun. I can't get over that one. But he tells us that rather than that fact, that empirical fact that it is Christians who are under attack all across the world, the narrative pushed by the left 
is that it's Muslims who are under attack and must be protected as a class, which in the United States yeah. is generally true because <laughs> of his father. Yes. Well, I mean, it goes back a bit further than that, I would say. Yeah. Maybe like There's 20 years thing. further than I that. I don't know. I was in fourth grade. I don't remember that thing that happened. <laughs> it was kind of a big deal. I don't know if you remember. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. It, it was, what was it? I think December 20, or 2001 when a, a Sikh man was shot for wearing a turban. Yeah, something like in that. In Chicago or something like that. And Oh, yeah. There, there's you. You look at the amount of violence against people groups in the United States. And, okay, unless, like, trans black women have it the worst. Uh, yeah. Trans people in general have it just about the worst. Muslims aren't in much better shape. I mean, white Christians generally, it's probably the best group to be in, I think. Yeah. Let me just say, as a, a white man who can easily pass as Christian, it's pretty great. It's pretty great to be to be white in the United States because that's the undercurrent that's running through all of this that doesn't get mentioned, right? And you brought it up with the Sikh shooting, right? And there was an there was I, I remember right after Trump's election, there were two Sikh men who were shot somewhere in the South yeah. because mm-hmm. again, someone thought they were Muslim. And so there's this undercurrent running through all of this, where this entire chapter, although he portrays it as a war against Christians, all he really wants to talk about is Muslims. Yeah. Because of course that's what it is, because it's scary brown people. Yeah. So and that's it, the the real undercurrent through this chapter. Yeah. It ties into this weird do you remember like during the twenty sixteen race there was this big thing about not calling it radical Islamic terrorism? Or ra- whatever whatever it was. It was something like that. And Trump was like, why wouldn't they call it this? And everyone was like, because they're calling it another entirely reasonable thing. And then <laughs> Donnie does that again here. He's like Oh, I call it radical Islam. And then, but Obama ordered his entire administration to use the phrase violent extremism as if that's not a perfect description for what it is. Like, <laughs> that is exactly, those are just synonyms for the words that you're saying. It's it, actually, it's a little subtler because they don't use the word Islam, but it's an extremist form of Islam, which is what the violent extremism suggests. And well, it suggests. also using the more generic term makes more sense in the U.S. because yeah. most terrorism here is at the hands of white supremacists. Exactly. I, I think you mean Christians, as according to <laughs> Donald Trump Jr. And like, okay, <laughs> Christian nationalist, white supremacist, evangelical—it's <laughs> all the same fucking bullshit. Yeah, True. they're all Sorry, one and the same. The rest of us just call him Nick Fuentes. Uh, but <laughs> I love Nick Fuentes, man. Uh, but so we get oh, to... Oh, he also... Hold on. He uses a big <laughs> word here that I don't think he knows what it means. Yes. yes. He, he goes, as cowardly as Obama's orthodoxy is. Like, okay. Sorry, what? <laughs> like, orthodoxy on what, Christian? Like, what? <laughs> it's very confusing. But, but... The whole point of that lead up, right, about how the the narrative in the U.S. is that Muslims are persecuted, blah, 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 is to go into this. This is the only time in this entire chapter he will mention an act of terrorism committed by a Muslim against Christians outside of the U.S., which you will remember was the point of this whole five-page subsection of this chapter. It is the Sri Lanka attack that happened, mm. I believe it was 2018 oh, on Easter, 2018. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, it was, was it? I thought it was before. 20, Easter 2018. I, it was either 2018, 2019, I believe. But the point of it is, the point of all that leading up to this and to bring in the Sri Lanka attack was so that I, he could throw in this criticism of Michelle Obama's tweet that just called the victims Easter worshippers. This faux outrage over the use of the term Easter worshippers. Well, okay, but his his outrage is that he's he's saying that they're not, like, saying Christian victims. But, like, again, what do you think Easter worshippers means? Like, do you think a right. lot of people there's that not a aren't whole lot Christian of mu- Yeah, there's the not a whole lot of Muslim Easter worshippers yeah. or Jewish Easter worshippers out there, I wouldn't he then, expect. He then is like, what would they have called them if it happened on December 25th? Christmas carol? <laughs> Christmas carolers? Like, if, if they, they were, were Christmas caroling, caroling, maybe. Yeah, probably, like... <laughs> Well, it, okay, I, I remember digging into this story on Atheist Nomads when when that happened, and there was enough reporting on it, Trump fueling misreporting on it, and the Sri Lankan government changing the story quite a few times, that it was difficult to keep track of what was going on, and no, it was a 
Muslim extremist group that has been in a more suppressed rebellion against the Sri Lankan government since their civil war uh, attacked Christians as an easy target. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, Sri Lanka does have a whole history of violent civil war that was fairly recent and separatism with the Tamil Tigers. So it's probably not a bad thing not to rush into saying, denouncing the violent extreme, you know, it's... That's probably. But, but look, here's my point: is that all of that, the entire point of those two pages of this chapter, was to get in that dig about the Obamas not being explicit enough about Christians. And by the way, Donald Trump, I'm pretty sure, didn't go out of his way during the attack to call out them as Christians specifically. He probably just said something like, "For example, it's not like I have the actual tweet pulled up right here in front of me." <laughs> One moment. <laughs> wait, Please wait hold. For me. I have to wait for the page to load now. <laughs> 138 people have been killed in Sri Lanka with more than 600 badly injured in a terrorist attack on churches and hotels. The United States offers heartfelt condolences to the great people of Sri Lanka. We stand ready to help. How dare he not mention they were Christians explicitly? Except most of them weren't. Yeah. <laughs> it was attacks on hotels and restaurants where most of the people there weren't Christians. It just happened to be on Easter. And well, there, there was Christians some targeting. There was some targeting of Christian churches yeah. in that attack. But also but, a lot of non-Christians died too. Right, right. But you, you get the, right, the point is the hypocrisy and the stupidity of this entire book. And right, we've been oh, reading yeah. this whole book. This is, this encapsulates this book perfectly. And I, I should say, I should have mentioned at the beginning, this is so far my favorite chapter in this book because it has everything we've come to know and love from Donnie Jr. The uh, pretending not to compliment himself, but complimenting himself. The terrible <laughs> distortions of other people's words. And it has all this pretending to care about Christians in the United States. Because let's just say, I don't think Donnie Jr. really cares about Christianity that much, but he knew at some point in his book he had to put it in to play it up. And there's a reason why this is one of the shortest chapters in this entire book, even though you could, and others have, written entire books on this subject very easily with very little work. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, there is a lot of persecution of Christians around the world. Yeah, it actual actually persecution. Happens, yeah, but he couldn't think of any others besides that one attack, which is why on the next page, <laughs> the next instance <laughs> in his war on Christians around the world section is the pulse attack in Orlando. Well, to be fair, Kevin, is Florida really a part of the U.S.? <laughs> <laughs> Finally, a statement I can get behind. <laughs> Do we really want to be associated? But I don't well, know. Well, that's if now Don- Trump's state of residence. That's true. It is. I'd forgotten about that. But I don't know if he actually is aware that the attacker was a U.S.-born U.S. citizen. I'm wondering if he's just unaware, because remember we started off talking about the Muslim ban. And Mm -hmm. so I'm wondering if he's trying to, without being a good writer, work in these attacks as support of the Muslim ban, because the next one he brings up is the Fort Hood shooter, another U.S.-born U.S. citizen, born in Virginia. So I'm wondering... Where he's getting it, because he doesn't say it explicitly. He doesn't say they were born outside of the United States, but I think there's an undercurrent running through here, remember, of the scary Muslims. And both of these people, let me finish, both of these people were born to immigrant parents who came to the U.S., and I think he's trying to say what he knows he can't say out loud, which is that you should block people from coming and immigrating from Muslim countries, not because of the views that those people might hold, because they're scary kids might come and hurt mm. you someday. Yeah, I think the deeper thing to me, I mean, the way I read it is that, like, they, it, the, he feels they'll never belong anywhere. Like, even if they're born here, it's like a whole separate identity. I think that's the, that's what came through for me anyway. I, I think also, you're both giving him way too much credit. Probably. <laughs> he I just think he forgot just, what he was talking about. I, 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 I believe that he probably thinks that everybody born in the U.S. is white, and anybody who's not white <laughs> was an immigrant. <laughs> There's a good chance of that, you know. And then then there's me spoiling everything. (laughs) But then he, after talking about the Sri Lanka attack and the Pulse nightclub shooting, well, wasn't uh, there also way more to the Pulse? I forget. Like there were definitely updates to the Pulse nightclub stuff that I missed. 
they right. were like to do with i i forget exactly what it was but like the 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 initial reporting was definitely flawed i think there was definitely i mean look anytime there's a major tragedy in the u.s there's problems with reporting and that's where conspiracy theorists come in and do their thing because there are contradictory reports people get things wrong because they're trying to get information out so quickly they just can't get it right yeah and can so I there do, was can all... i ask you a quick legal question as well sorry mm -hmm. there's uh so the, just at the bottom of this page here there's a bit where he's he's trying to do a bit where he's like the new york times makes excuses for terrorists and i know libel laws are very it's very hard to sue anyone for libel here but he's putting quotes that the new york times said ignore that <laughs> they've probably had very hard lives i feel like he should be able to be sued for that because there no, is no I way think those are sarcastic quotes i that's still quote marks like that's a serious that should be a i would sue yeah. for that shit just for the it's sake hard of it. it's hard to sue anyone of prominence especially a, a newspaper or anything like that um or or, or donnie trump jr or Stop anybody like that it's pretty hard this isn't the uk i know your libel laws are a yeah, lot we uh... love to sue people for libel. <laughs> we over there. love it but with with all three of these examples the better argument to use them for is comprehensive gun control yeah, yeah that <laughs> I mean, is absolutely like, yeah. true I mean, yeah, we can't disagree with that. And, but here's the thing I wanted to bring up, which is he points out that the, the Pulse nightclub shooter uh, swore allegiance to Baghdadi, the leader of ISIS. And Donnie Jr. pulls out this quote from Baghdadi, which is, the battle of Islam and its people against the cross and its people is a long battle, which Donnie's side agrees with that statement. Yeah. Just on the opposite side of Baghdadi... I just it blows yeah. my mind that there's, he doesn't see the parallels between there's his a bit own later, side. Yeah. There's a, there's a bit later in the chapter where he talks about jihad and the, its casual usage as if like no white person has ever used the word crusade in its unofficial meaning like mm -hmm. my personal crusade I mean, for things. Yeah. I wonder imagine if we ever had a president who used crusade in a way that was unfortunate uh, with reference to war yeah. in the Middle East. Well and, and Bug Remember Baghdadi when that guy been... was the worst? <laughs> yeah. Baghdadi would have been looking at it from the standpoint of this is a struggle that's been going on since the 11th century. Also, I, I mean, for the, the ISIS's big thing is like media wins and publicity. And whether you like mm -hmm. it or not, that was, I mean, that is something that people talked about and therefore maintained ISIS's relevance. So, like, they jump on any bandwagon. Whenever anyone claims allegiance to them, they're like, yeah, that guy was with us. Because yeah. that's their whole thing. So, let's move away from the depressing shit. Uh, surely. <laughs> and let's get to white nationalists in the United States. <laughs> <laughs> because he wants to point out the dichotomy between the way the media treats people like the Fort Hood shooter and the Pulse nightclub massacre shooter. This is my favorite and... bit of the whole book, so. <laughs> and when some white supremacist does something, you know... To can use you, a, a phrase can, lifted from Ilhan Omar. Can you uh, please just read the whole of this, this first bit of this paragraph? I, I, just, so, okay. Any, okay, to start off with, <clears throat> when some homegrown piece of shit militia group commits a terrorist act, however, the press will run out of ink calling its members Christians. And I gotta say, I did notice when I was reading that he has censored himself before in this book. He has censored the word fuck, so it's been F star star can't, whatever. But he doesn't censor shit. Right, so I think he was trying to keep this book PG thirteen. I'm just that just stuck out to me. But he says even its use of the phrase "white supremacist" is a lightly veiled pseudonym for Christian. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> massive self own. It's like, oh yeah, all the white supremacists. I guess they are Christians. Uh, would you and like? Then, would you rather they said Christian terrorists as the other beyond the cell phone? <laughs> like, would you rather they were like, yeah, the Christians suck? Because like that seems like equally what you're complaining about. Like, yeah, and look, the whites, the the militia douchebags and the abortion clinic bombers, they are like Muslim terrorists, usually doing it because of their religion, or that's their stated motivation, or there's a heavy component of it there. So there's yeah. a pretty direct analogy to be drawn, but he continues on, and I'm going to read the rest of this paragraph because you are right. It is fantastic. Quote, The double standard that exists in the media would be laughable in a less serious context. It's the Christians, they say, who bomb abortion clinics, but it's an army psychiatrist, not a radical Islamic, who murders more than a dozen people in cold blood. 
It's an evangelical who attacks gays, but it's a closet homosexual who kills dozens of people in a nightclub. It's a white nationalist Christian who attacks a mosque, but it's a man with a troubled mind who kills his co-workers in San Bernardino. He could have not chosen actual attacks to portray the Christian side of that. It's literally but a litany of Christian sin. Like All things that they actually do. Yeah. Uh-huh. And Good what gets Christ. left out is like the most prominent asshole Christian white supremacist anti-government idiot near me living only about 30 miles away is Ammon Bundy. Oh, yeah, oh, the Bundys. God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, when he and a group of goons from around the Western United States were destroying... Paiute artifacts at the Malheur National Wildlife Refuge in Eastern Oregon. I don't remember anybody mentioning the religion of the rebel group there. Maybe they should have done. (laughs) I also (laughs) don't remember anybody in the media calling it armed insurrection against the government of the United States, which it was. (laughs) And Barack Obama definitely never called it Christian extremism or insurrection which it was yeah bundy is a pretty explicit uh christian supremacist uh wannabe theocrat as as i understand from listening to somebody some of the stuff that goes on about him uh but next thing we get is donnie uh, going to the self-quote we know he loves Loves to self-quote absolutely lives for it and he loves to self-quote his own tweets he doesn't do that this time to be fair well, he is quoting a tweet. Well, he's not quoting, but he's mentioning a tweet that he sent out and the words that were on the meme that he sent out, which was the famous Skittles tweet, which had a bowl of Skittles and had the text, if I had a bowl of Skittles and I told you just three would kill you, would you take a handful? That's our Syrian refugee problem. And then he throws out his little bit of self-praise like he <laughs> likes to do, where he says... As metaphors go, I didn't think it was so terrible. Maybe not F. Scott Fitzgerald, but not bad for a guy with a business degree from Warden. Which, A, fuck the F. Scott Fitzgerald reference. I hate F. Scott Fitzgerald. The Great Gatsby is worthless. I will fight you on this. They just teach it in high school because professors need an easy book with obvious metaphors so they can teach about metaphors. Yeah, but- I'm, not, I'm not sure Not sure he was particularly known for his metaphors, honestly, F. Scott Fitzgerald. Like... The eyeglasses and all that. You you haven't been through school in the United... You haven't been through I've public read, school in the I've U.S. I've read Gatsby. Like, have you ever not... had to sit through an English class where they make you read it and tell you about all the stuff in it? Because I have. No, no. But my bet, the better part of that quote, the thing I love about it, was, is where he pretty much says, oh, I came up with that, and how smart am I for coming up with that? The problem is that he didn't come up with it, he pretty clearly stole it from Joe Walsh, the right-wing douchebag commentator who just <laughs> dropped out running against Donald Trump, who in turn stole it from Zero Hedge, the insane blog, which basically does right-wing economics, who in turn adapted it from shit that the incels were doing on Reddit, where they awesome. were doing the same meme. I did not know that. Mm. That is news to me. So Joe Walsh tweeted that same exact language about a month before Donnie sent out Fine. his tweet. Can I point out just for the record that Skittles are not people and nor yeah. should they be yes. tre- nor should we treat people like I Skittles. I think Eli Bosnick pretty much pointed out that Skittles aren't people. If you missed that when it all <laughs> I, happened, I did he had a whole that. meme that went viral. Interesting. Uh, I fine. I'll link it in the show notes. Uh, now, the next now, thing and, and one of the, the the huge flaws with that would be okay. 3 might be poison. But if we don't take that, if you don't take a handful and eat them, which, okay, that's just a bad analogy there. (laughs) They're all going to get burned up. Yeah. And nobody will have Skittles. Yeah. Or in in non-metaphorical terms, a bunch of people will die. Yes. Exactly. Exactly, man. It's It's a heartless, stupid, petty fucking analogy that only a dumb douchebag could steal from another person, take credit for, and think he had some amazing insight. That's the only way you get to that outcome. But the next thing we get is Linda Sarsour. The Linda Sarsour jihad. And look, I have no love for Linda Sarsour. I've been at the Women's March since I live here in D.C. And like when she was up on stage, it's like, oh, God, 
I forgot she was part of this. Can we just forget that she's part of this? Because she has some genuinely problematic beliefs and problematic statements, and she's not all that great of a person that I really like. But there is this whole aspect of it, like you mentioned, Benedict, of him trying to pretend that jihad only has one meaning and there's no nuance whatsoever, and that, you know, there is nuance there. Yeah. There is. I mean, it's the same. It's it is the same as the the use of crusade in in many senses. It's like it's a struggle. It's an it's anything from an intellectual struggle to holy war. Like it has many meanings that have been used in many contexts. Also, I would just say there is a paragraph in this that I read twelve times and I still don't understand what he's trying to say. So he says at, at the end of the bit about the jihad, he says afterward, trying to soften her vengeful words, apologists for her tried to redefine jihad as a spiritual struggle against vices. Whatever, that's fine. Okay, this is the bit, and please, if you understand what he's saying here, explain it to me, because I have no idea what this sentence means. In other words, the left can try to retrofit Americans' morals onto the barbaric ancient idea of holy war to make themselves feel better, but they're only fooling the liberal audiences of the United States and Europe. What? Okay, Benedict, let me let me try and uh, fit this into a, something you would understand. It's, it's like, like a, a paragraph. It's like if you took a word cut. like crusade and tried to refit it onto some sort of other concept. Uh, that, shit. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. But it's like <laughs> no, okay. cut a paragraph. I just don't understand what that like how he moves from the previous sentence to that sentence. When you have a evangelistic crusade, that's not particularly scary. When you're going to a Christian community to spread Christianity in an evangelistic crusade, because the context and the audience is important to understanding the language that is being used. Yeah. A Muslim woman using jihad in a vague, nonviolent sense, like an evangelistic crusade is a nonviolent use of that term. If that's the audience is other Muslims, they're going to understand that. Yeah. Just yeah, like nobody it, it, thinks an evangelistic crusade requires swords and battle axes and and shields with crosses on them. people. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. You've been to some of these uh, Unite the Right type rallies? I think some of them might need a little more clarification <laughs> yeah, on true. that account. <laughs> By the way, I, it just it just popped into my head, but with the Ammon Bundy reference you made earlier, uh, when I was at in uh, at UC Berkeley, um, we had, of course, you know, a bunch of those, because this is 2016, 2017, uh, a bunch of those people coming out there to try and, you know, get in fights and stuff. And uh, Ammon Bundy's militia buddies came out, and they were ha- they had a bunch of signs about him because it was around that time. <laughs> they had a bunch of free Ammon Bundy or whatever was support him. I don't know if it was ongoing at the time. They had a bunch of those signs trying to support him because I guess that was their cause. That was oh, fun. Wow. Yeah. Um, but anyways, I, I have another writing note that he's just missed a period off a off a. This <laughs> is more periods than a pregnant woman does, Don Junior. <laughs> Yes, yes. You're talking about the sentence where he tries to throw in the obligatory, I'm not talking about, you know, most Muslim people. Yeah, there was clearly more to that sentence that somebody was like, that's not a good idea to finish that sentence. Because look, back, I don't know whether... Back, we... <laughs> no, you're right. But back, but the thing is, he is, though. He is trying to save vast majority of Muslim people around there. But here's the thing. Back when I was right-wing trash, I used to read these terrible spy books by, I think the it was either the author or the character's name was Mitch Rapp. I don't remember off the top of my head. But they were all like this spy guy, you know, it was always Muslims were the bad guys. So there was always, like, littered throughout 20 or 50 times the obligatory, look, I'm not saying all Muslims are bad people. I'm not saying all of them, even though the book is basically, yeah, it's all Muslims. That's what I, Obviously I'm saying all Muslims are bad people. I just can't help but notice that from my own history. There's a lot of parallels. <laughs> yeah but oh and then we we, we get the the best we bit, another, another fake story <laughs> yes look we thought that the last fake story was the best fake story right about his friend who he met in a coffee shop in a hotel lobby but this fake story is far better than that fake story to start to begin with because he he signals pretty clearly that it's a fake story by saying i hailed a livery cab yeah. I don't fuck? know what that I don't know what that means. I hailed a horse and buggy and we rode down Main Street. Like is that I Well, I, a normal human would say I hailed a cab. 
But when you're lying to people, you you know how you embellish stories, trying to think that adding more detail will make it seem more real. He throws in the word yeah. livery because yeah, technically do we, do we I think guess it's just he's never taken word? a taxi before. Yeah, like he's only taken limos. Like oh, I hailed one of those livery cabs that the common folk travel in. <laughs> yes, yes. But he says that he got in and he saw the driver in the rearview mirror. He was Middle Eastern. And Donnie thought, oh, kind shit, of an assumption to make also there. Like, oh, yeah, this brown person is clearly Middle Eastern. No nuance is available to me here. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. yeah. But so, of course, this guy, this random taxi driver, tells him instead of what Donnie expects, which is going to be an expletive laden rant about how terrible his father is, he says, I've heard your father's comments. I think he's 100% right. To start off with, another reason we know this is fake is because this is a fucking cab in New York City. Your fucking driver's not going to talk to you. No fucking way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've been in taxis. I'm sorry. Your driver's not going to talk cabs. to you. You mean livery cabs? Yeah. Livery cab sorry, drivers will not, will not talk to you, no. For love nor money. Maybe in the livery cabs. I've maybe. only been in cabs. I've never been in a livery cab, so there uh, okay, may be so, a difference there. Now, my, my experience has always been, granted, never in New York City, but cab drivers are talkative. Town car drivers aren't. <laughs> well, because they know what they know their place. According yes, to Donnie that's Jr. right. <laughs> no, cab drivers don't really talk to you here. They uh, see too many people in a day. Like maybe they talk to the first person and that's it. Like no, yeah. no way. Look, uh, if if none of you have ever driven for Uber as I have done on occasion, I, I drove for Uber Eats. It's different. It's food, but. People don't want to fucking talk to you. You don't want to talk to them. You want to give them their shit or give them their drive and get the fuck out of there. That's all you want. Because you've been in this car for 16 hours. You have crotch crotch rot coming up. You're ready to get home and take a shower. But anyways, this conversation continues on. And this is the second point where I went, oh, yeah, definitely fake. The next quote is, I know it's the ones who are preaching hate, oppressing women, killing people who ruin it for us all. He continued... Even the ones like this man, the San Bernardino shooter in, in brackets, who came to the United States legally are ruining it. Yeah, so there's so, just even more reason to think it's bullshit, right? Because this is so early on in Donald Trump's running for the presidency, right? This is, this is 2015. It was December 2nd, 2015. He hadn't announced much earlier than that. And nobody knew what Don Jr. looked like at that point. No. <laughs> so who the this cab driver this cab pack what he, he says he's like Pakistani or something I don't remember what he, he called yeah, him. Just a, he was a Middle Eastern guy he describes him as of course right so this random cab driver is not going to recognize Don Jr. by sight so I, I look we all know this conversation is complete bullshit because every time he's given us a random conversation from individual X who's a good friend who we met randomly the, the, it's just too convenient that that person is saying exactly the words that if you were wanting to write a conversation to show that people support you, that someone would say. It's yeah. just too convenient. It is. It is too convenient. And then, yeah, it's all weird. But then we move on from all this talk of Christians in the United States to the subheading. <laughs> to the next subheading. The war against Christians in the United States. Which is not yes. what we've been talking about up till now, as you know. <laughs> uh, right. The, he, he completely forgot he was supposed to be talking about it around the world. And then he changed paragraphs and didn't decide to go back and do any editing. So, uh, whatever he feels like he needs to do. But he says yeah. to start this off, that the United States left has bought and sold the idea. Of course, the, the media and the, the politics and the universities, all these we know, of course has bought and sold the idea that there is a culture war going on between the oppressed and the oppressors, the colonizers and the victims, the evil capitalist pigs, uh, and yes. the innocent gender studies majors of the world. It is the left who has bought and sold the idea of a culture war in the United States. It's not that like any right-wing famously... personalities have actually written books about the culture war called culture war. Famously, what has <laughs> happened is the left did everything wrong and the right is just fine. And I will say, for Donnie Jr.'s benefit, that no, there is no culture war going on because they lost it about 15, 20 years ago when everyone stopped caring what Republicans had to say. Except for the people who actually go out and vote. Yeah, God. that's true. Damn it, old people. They don't watch the Hollywood movies, though. <laughs> the Hollywood movies. <laughs> uh, see, this is an undercurrent. Again, right? we keep going back to these undercurrents, right? That... That replace that uh, uh, find replace of Jew with 
globalist that Alex Jones does, or in Donnie Jr.'s case, it's with the left, or with Dinesh D'Souza, it's also the left, right? It's just a fine it's replace. Where the they're, left. they're basically repeating the same propaganda that's been used in anti-Semitism for decades and <laughs> replacing with the left is the one who controls all these things now. Yeah, that's yep. true. Um, I I personally vote that we don't go through everything that he says about Amy Coney Barrett here, <laughs> but I think we can we can we can have a reasonable discussion the three of us over whether there is a point to it. So like in in terms nope. of the separation of church and state, does being dogmatically religious and making that a key part of your politics should that preclude you from serving as a federal judge or a Supreme Court justice? Well, let me just preface that by we didn't introduce this, but okay, sorry, what he's yeah, going to yeah. talk about for most of this subsection, the rest of the chapter, well, <laughs> part of the rest of this chapter is his nominees, who he said, or his father's nominees, I keep forgetting, and he also does that he's not the president, uh, that his father's nominees for various offices, mostly judges, have been questioned about their religion. And the point of that questioning on behalf of the senators who have been asking about their religious activities, and Amy Coney Barrett's case famously, is that these people are highly homophobic and have some very problematic ideals on abortion and birth control and all these sorts of issues, and asking about the religion part is a way to get to that. Yeah. But yes, you are correct. He brings up Amy Coney Barrett and how the National Women's Law Center said that she was a threat to civil, constitutional, and reproductive rights, which was true, Mm -hmm. But he also says that, remember, if you're a conservative, you get no woke points for being a female. In fact, you get docked a few woke points for being a traitor, to which the obvious answer is, yeah, because you're a traitor. It's, well, also, it's almost as if you, it has nothing to do you're with your identity. You're an Lydia. It's yeah. nothing to do with your identity and more to do with the politics that you hold that gets yeah. you woke points. So for someone who well, keeps true. complaining about the left being splintered into identitarian groups, it doesn't seem like that's actually very true, does it? There's also kind of the big deal that she was 45 years old and going yeah. directly to the Circuit Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit, having only had three years of experience actually practicing law. Oof. She was, Wait, was a, that, yeah, was that and a professor. Barrett? Yes. Okay, I thought she was going to be the Supreme Court nominee. Was that, am I misremembering no, that? She was, she was on the short list yeah. Yeah, for... Yeah. For uh, Brett for Kavanaugh's, Kavanaugh's spot. spot, yeah, yeah. But no, you're 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 just uh, you're remembering partially. Yes, I'm conflating uh, no, the she, two. Yes, she was eventually confirmed to the Seventh Circuit. But he brings up here, and right, he brings up here that Feinstein questioned her about her religious belief and the fact that Barrett, in the past, had described herself as, I believe, dogmatic, dogmatically or that, Christian, yeah, or dogmatically Catholic, yes. or something like that. So yeah. Barrett had described herself in that way, which I think makes it perfectly reasonable to bring that up when you're about to appoint this person to, even though it's just the Seventh Circuit, one of the most important courts in our country. But we also get this little moment that I love just because I grew up Catholic and had, you know, over a decade of Catholic school under me, where he mentions one of the people who came to Barrett's defense was the oh, president yeah. of Notre Dame, <laughs> where he describes wrongly as Reverend John Jenkins. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm sorry, it's called Father. If you ever went to Catholic school, you would know that. Or if you knew anything about religion and weren't just pretending to yeah. pander to your father's base, you might know that as well. And if he knew anything about religion, or at least a little bit about Catholicism, he might know that dogma in Catholic speak is a is different a great thing. movie. It is a different concept than dogma in anything else. It's also yeah. a great Kevin Smith movie. I'm sorry I interrupted yeah. you. <laughs> also, knowing anything about history, because the point he makes that Father, as you say, Father Jenkins says, is that religion lived loudly in the hearts of those who founded our nation. Catholicism very much did not live loudly in the hearts no. of those who no, founded not our nation. At all. Not at all. <laughs> and you could argue that the actual founders were quite irreligious and mostly deists. Mm -hmm. it's in like, fact, I would argue that. If Donnie Jr. wanted to write about Christian persecution in the United States, he could write an entire chapter on Catholic bashing up until about 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, remember when Kennedy <laughs> yeah. was elected as a Catholic and everyone freaked the fuck out? Because they were like, he's only loyal to the Pope. How are we going to cope? And he had That's to do this amazing slogan, speech on church-state separation and 
the importance of a, a firm wall between church and state because he wanted to make it clear that he wasn't going to be governing based on dogma. Yeah. But the next thing we get, and this all ties in, is this great quote where he gets it wrong, completely wrong, where he says, Separation of church and state in this country means that the government can't tell people what faith they can practice. It doesn't stop people from making laws based on their religious beliefs. And yes, it does. It's what it should do. There's plenty of argument in plenty of circles over whether that should be the case. But you got to remember, there's two clauses to that religion clause in the Constitution. It's not just the one that they like. There's a whole other one, too. <laughs> there's also the bit he gets completely wrong about people coming from England so that they could practice their religion freely. It's not. It's so that, well, I guess it kind of is. It's so that they came here so that they didn't have to put up with everyone having fun. Is why so they that came. they could oppress everyone. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> oh. the Quakers were boring as shit. Yep. Uh, yo, I, I had... Uh... I had an ancestor on the on the Mayflower, and it was fun finding oh. that out and then finding out some of the details there. He was a indentured servant of one of the adventurers. Oh, wow. He was not a separatist, which is the actual term for the congregationalists that are usually referred to as Puritans, which were actually a different group that traveled over later. Oh. All they wanted to come to America to establish a community where they wouldn't accept any dissension from their views and beliefs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They were very hardcore about it. Yeah. <laughs> so those adventurers, they just wanted profit, and they went and they had to accept all of those, had to live like a, a good congregationalist at the time. Oh, man. Well, anyways, next we find out, for the, for the rest of this chapter, we find out that Donnie Jr. has Jewish friends. Yep. <laughs> that is it. That is the rest remember of the how this effects. chapter was about Christians. Remember how it was about Christians around the world and in the United States. We're going to spend a full three pages talking about how he has Jewish friends, they moved the embassy to Israel, and how much his dad loves Israel. Yeah, and it, it also, like, there's just some weird stuff in here where he's like, oh, they said millions of people would die because we moved the... Like, nobody said millions. Like, they said, maybe don't do that. It might cause some issues, which it did. But it nobody said millions did. of people were going to die. Well, I would like you to remember how earlier in this chapter... Uh, let me just say, I'm old enough to remember six pages ago when he was upset about people downplaying violence that occurred against others. Uh, so let me read what he says about the violence that occurred in the aftermath of the Jerusalem embassy opening. And how much of the doom and gloom happened when my father followed through on his promise? Practically none. Casualties were minimal. minimal. Smaller acts have caused much larger violence and death in the Middle East. About literally dozens of people being shot protesting the Jerusalem embassy. Yeah, and he's like, where was the intifada? Like, well, I mean, it's, you know, <laughs> there's a lot going on. Right. There's a lot going on. And... What what he's missing was the big concern was that by doing that, you're legitimizing Israel's claim for all of Jerusalem as opposed yeah. to the internationally recognized partitioned Jerusalem. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, th there's no subtlety to his argument here, no. is there? I mean, and I have seen the now embassy in Jerusalem. It is massive and terrifying to walk by. Uh, the guards out front are heavily armed and do not let you take pictures. Yeah, that's, I mean, I think every American embassy is like that, to be honest. <laughs> I, I've, I, I have personally been to the embassy in London, so it is, it is so, not a nice story. building. We know how I like to do side stories, right? I, I live here in Washington, D.C., and over by um, the uh, uh, Kennedy Center, said, yeah, the Kennedy Center is the Saudi Arabian embassy, which much like I imagine the American embassies around the world you're talking about, does not like pictures. <laughs> but it's right next to the Kennedy Center. It's literally <laughs> right there. So they have me, I've walked by there, and I've seen people just, you know, because it's the, the Watergate, the Kennedy Center, it's all right there. And people are taking pictures, and there's just huge guys glaring at people and telling them to put their cameras away. It's great. It's a whole lot of fun. Yeah, in Jerusalem, what they do if you try to take a picture is they point their guns at you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that... 
Yeah. I think I think uh I think the the status quo there is uh something to do with electric knives. I don't I never got the whole down low on it. Uh but the other part about the Jerusalem embassy, no, nobody wants to laugh at my joke about about chopping up bodies. Great. Just leave me hanging, guys. Oh, uh, Saudi. Yeah, no, I got it. Yeah, okay. now you no, get it. We've now moved you back get to it. Jerusalem. I, I, Jokes are better me. when you yeah, explain them. You lost me. You lost me. I'm sorry. I wasn't yes. paying attention, really. That's my The fault. only last thing, right, th- this is all just blah, blah, blah. How great are we that we moved the embassy to, it, to Jerusalem? My dad's great. But the only thing, other thing that came up in here, which isn't even in his chapter, of course, but which I wrote in my sideline notes, um, when he mentioned the move and Ambassador Friedman... Was it? Don't forget that John Hagee was also there <laughs> because <laughs> it was another moment of those. Oh shit, that happened during this administration. Moments that came up to me in reading this chapter where John Hagee, the insane, partial anti-Semite preacher, was asked to go be there to open the embassy in Jerusalem. And right, just problematic. People. Yeah, problematic. and, and let's say it's just a reminder that one of the reasons that they're all so nuts about Israel is because of literal end times prophecy. Like mm-hmm. that is yes. that is literally one of the reasons why well, evangelical Christians want complete Israeli dom- dominion over the lands of Israel is because they think that is necessary to spark the end times prophecy. It's a whole and thing. And that's absolutely why he put the Israel bit in this chapter, right? Yeah. Because remember, yeah, surely. It, it, it's all about Christians, right? It had to tie in some, and I, I knew that's what he was getting at, even though he can't say that part out loud. But it's a chapter on Christians, and he knew he had to throw in some Israel stuff in there. Because, of course, it's it's really about United States evangelicals. But we end this chapter, and as can I, I always can I do, just I point out really quickly. Sorry to interrupt your flow there. The current Secretary of State is Mike Pompeo. Just after all of this, <laughs> let, lest we forget, crazy evangelical Christian Mike Pompeo holds one of yeah. the highest offices in our yeah. land. Yeah, it's a problem. It's just a problem. leave that there. And what evangelicals <laughs> believe need to happen in Jerusalem is for the Israeli government to tear down the Alaska Mosque and the Dome of the Rock and rebuild the temple on the land that is the third most holy site in Islam. Which let's say even Netanyahu is not crazy enough for. Yeah. Yeah. So they they got a long time waiting if they think that's going to happen. So we come to the end of this chapter, and as I always do, I will read the final paragraph in its entirety, which says as follows, quote, words when I forget how I write my script, And I shall continue (laughs) pretending as though I didn't just screw up. Courage takes action, and my father is never afraid to act. He believed it was the right thing to do. The state of Israel gets to decide where their capital is, and the United States should support the only democracy in the Middle East. You see, the United States is a leader, and others follow us. It's called leadership, something Obama sorely lacked. It's time for America to take its rightful place as the leader of the free world again. How many times did he use leader in that paragraph? Too many, I would say. <laughs> but that is it for chapter 10 of Triggered. How the left hates us and I don't remember what the tagline. How the left thrives on hate and wants to silence us. And uh, I still don't know how that ties into any of these chapters so No, far. not at all. Not even in a little bit. Well, Benedict, as we know, we learned nothing from this chapter. Nothing, I tell you. So I'll ask you this. Since we know Donald Trump Jr. is a white, Christian, hetero-American male in his prime, I guess, if you want to call it that, (laughs) he is a persecuted man in America. Persecuted, I tell you. Mm -hmm. So what is the worst persecution Donnie Jr. has had to face living as a Christian male in the United States? I don't know whether you'd call it persecution per se, but I would definitely say that it was when Donald Trump Sr. said that his favorite son was Jared Kushner. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. That's good. I was was just going to say when a gypsy took away his beard cream, but, you know, (laughs) you you knocked it out of the park there. Thanks. I actually thought of it ahead of time this week. Spent some time thinking of my joke. That is it. Finally. God, it takes so much to get you to do some basic work for the show. So that is it for this chapter. Uh, Dustin, before we go, yeah. do you want to tell everyone where they can find more of you? AtheistNomads.com. Uh, the podcast is everywhere under the name Atheist Nomads. And uh, the website's the easiest place to find all the links to, well, everywhere. <laughs> 
Awesome, awesome. So I have to thank Apologize for having you on the show and making you read this terrible, terrible piece of garbage. Ah. I have to scroll down to find my outro script. I was having one of those Mondays where, you know, (laughs) you've got a two-year-old. You're stuck at home trying to work, and you've got a two-year-old who is hungry but won't eat anything that you're offering. (laughs) <laughs> Look, you're trying to read Goodnight Moon, and all of a sudden, bam, hoof and mouth disease. And this gave me uh, something much more appropriate to be angry about. So thank you. That's good. Well, you can let direct your anger at the right things yes. in this life, Dustin. That's, that's, that's all that's important. And remember, if you listeners would like to play along at home, you can send your answer to this week's question to us on Twitter or Facebook. Just share or retweet the episode with your answer to this week's question, and you might get read on the show. And this week, we have an answer from a listener. Last week's question was, what book was that chapter really from? And the answer we got from patron uh, Becky Scott Fairley at, at 8-Bit Lives on Twitter is, this chapter was originally from a bathroom wall argument of my dad can beat up your dad. <laughs> Pretty accurate, I have to say. That's about right. Pretty accurate. So thank you all for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you can't get enough of us, remember you can go over to patreon.com forward slash NYGBC and become a patron for as little as $2 an episode for patron-only episodes, shout-outs on the show, drawings to win our copies of the books we read, and more. As always, we have to give a shout-out to our wonderful and amazing patrons, AJ Brantley, Taru Takanen, Andrew Jenko, Stephen, and Cindy Dimmick. Oh, I love having them back as patrons. Mm. I missed that. And yeah, I know. Becky Scott Fairley, Skeptical Seventh, Emily Burke, and Brusque Platypus. Thank you all, as always, for being our patrons. That's it for this week's show. Till next time, you won't like me when I'm angry. Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> Podcast is a production of Kevin and Benedict Productions. Copyright 2020, all rights reserved. Music for this podcast is by Silverman Sound Studios. Find out more at silvermansound.com.